There are experiences in our lives that teach us vital truths, landmark lessons that you never forget. One such experience happened to me many, many years ago. The Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain Christmas party was on the horizon, and Kathy was thrilled that I had promised her a new outfit. So we loaded the kids up in their car seats. We headed down to the department store to purchase new threads for mom. Kathy began that evening with a promise. She ended it with the fulfillment of that promise. But in the meantime, some strange, bizarre events occurred. At the time, one of my three sons, who will remain nameless for reasons that will soon become apparent, was just a few years old and in the process of being potty trained. While his mom was combing through the racks of clothes, I whiffed an atrocious smell. There was no mistaking the aroma. My son had pooped in his britches. Well, mom was engrossed in major decisions, so I set out to the van to clean him up. Well, as we were walking down the aisle toward the exit, my toddler, toddler, I noticed that my toddler was walking in a really peculiar manner, sort of like John Wayne. Kind of like he'd been in the saddle for several days. Suddenly, two clumps of you-know-what slid down his pants legs and plopped right onto the floor. It it looked sort of like this. And, And I just groaned. My first reaction was to clean it up, but I didn't have a rag. And so I did what any conscientious father would do. I just kept walking. (laughs) I had no choice. We just kept walking. We were hustling out the door as fast as we could when my son, he stops right in the middle of the traffic and he shouts, Dad, I think I got something in my boot. (laughs) Trust me, I didn't stop to find out what that something was. I picked him up and we raced to the car. Well, after changing my son's diapers, we re-entered the store with paper towels in hand to sort of shovel up the mess. I was glad to see that no one had stepped in his deposit. By this time, Kathy had purchased her new outfit, and she was ready to leave. A promise had been made, and that promise had been fulfilled. But in the meantime, I had to deal with some distressing circumstances. And when you think about it, this is the story of our lives. All of life is lived in the meantime, between the giving of a promise and the keeping of that promise. Our here and now, this earthly life is the in the meantime. It is the in-between time. Life is the interval between a promise given and a promise fulfilled. Jesus excites us with staggering promises. The church, his bride, has the promise of an inheritance, much of which is still future. One day we'll walk streets of gold. We'll be clothed in robes of white. For all eternity we'll get second helpings of things for which we're now famished. Romans 8 verse 17 calls us joint heirs with Jesus. How about that? In Christ, all God's wealth and wonders are in our name, but a significant portion of our inheritance is waiting for a future date. 
When the Calvary Chapel Christmas party finally arrived and I saw Kathy decked out in that new outfit, I thought, wow, that is one good-looking babe. My wife looked so glorious, I totally forgot about my messy experience. And that's the reaction we'll have when we finally reach that heavenly shore. The future glory that awaits every Christian will overshadow today's difficulties. You see, God makes us all promises, and he's going to keep those promises, yet in the meantime, God ordains for us to walk through some messy, even poopy experiences. This world is full of sin, and pain, and sickness, and hurt, and hate, and exhaustion, and injustice, and betrayal, and despair, and I can go on. Life in the meantime is hard. Sometimes it just plain stinks. But rest assured, God has a purpose for the messes we're forced to endure. Here's a startling statistic for you. Did you know that a child goes through 5,000 diapers by the time he or she is two years old? 5,000 diapers. Having raised four kids, that means Kathy and I have changed 20,000 smelly diapers. And her probably a few more than me. Here's my point. To grow up a kid, you've got to confront and clean up a lot of poop. Maturing a child is messy business, and the same is true with a child of God. Oh, we enjoy the good times when God's blessings are tangible, but we all know that we learn more from the difficulties and the trials and the persecutions and the stresses. Here's a quote for you to remember. It's a Sandy Adams original. In fact, someone years ago turned it into a plaque that I now have hanging in my office. Here it is. It takes the manure for us to mature. And it's true. It takes the manure for us to mature. One day, all our heartaches, all our headaches will be worth it. We'll have zero complaints in heaven. But in the meantime, how do you handle life's hardships? Do you take heart? Or do you lose heart? Well, if anyone knew about poop, it was Paul. If his ship wasn't sinking, he was being beaten and thrown into jail, or he was being run out of town, or he was being stoned and left for dead. Yo, Paul was accustomed to one bad hair day after another. But in verse 16, Paul commands us, do not lose heart. And then he gives us three reasons why. Paul points to three different contrasts that we should consider. First is the contrast between the outer man and the inner man. Second, he contrasts the world's afflictions with heaven's glories. And then third is the contrast between the visible and the invisible. Here's what Paul is telling us. Focus on these three contrasts. And you'll take heart, not lose heart. Well, the first reason that Paul doesn't lose heart is the contrast between what's happening to him physically and what's happening to him spiritually. In verse 16, Paul observes, Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Outwardly, we are destined to decay. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Understand, Paul's physical body was perishing. As I mentioned before, 
Paul had endured severe trials. He was stoned once. He had been beaten ten times, shipwrecked four times, imprisoned countless times. Bible scholars believe that Paul even had a chronic, a painful eye disease. He refers to it later as his thorn in the flesh. Perhaps Paul's most debilitating trial was the constant concern that he had for the churches he had planted. Pastor Paul's parish was the entire world. And to top it all off, Paul was getting older. He was aging. And that alone is cause enough for a person to lose heart. Paul's physical body was slowly deteriorating, which reminds me of a list, a top 10 list. Here are the top 10 ways you know you're getting older. Here they are. Number 10, the twinkle in your eye is the sun's reflection off your bifocals. Number nine, you get cautioned to slow down by your doctor, not the police. Number eight, it takes two tries to get up from the couch. Number seven, you throw a party that the neighbors don't even realize is a party. Number six, you happen to spot a pretty girl walking down the street and your pacemaker sets off your neighbor's garage door opener. Number five, your joints are more accurate at predicting the weather than Glenn Burns. Number four, you go to the store. You go to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks when you remember you aren't wearing any socks. Number three, all your favorite music is in the bargain bin at Walmart. Number two, you help a little old lady cross the street and realize she's your wife. And the number one way you know you're getting older, your ears are hairier than your head. In a tribute to getting older, here's a great little parody of a Julie Andrews classic. It's a takeoff on the song from The Sound of Music, My Favorite Things. Maylocks and nose drops and needles for knitting, walkers and handrails and new dental fittings, pacemakers, golf carts, and porches with swings. These are a few of my favorite things. Back pains, confused brains, and thicker eyeglasses. Thin bones and fractures and false teeth and glasses. And we won't mention our short shrunken frames when we remember our favorite things. And then the chorus. When the joints ache, when the hips break, when the knees go bad, I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. (laughs) Yet the truth is, these are not our favorite things, are they? Today's society worships youth. Nobody admires an old body. We praise the young, the sleek, the beautiful. And when we're no longer any of the above, we have a difficult time coping with our obvious mortality. Most folks just don't want to believe they're not what they used to be. They live in outright denial. That is, until they attempt something rather normal that injures themselves. Often people search for the fountain of youth. They buy protein shakes and supplements. They sign on at the local health club. During the commercial, they jot down the number for the hair club for men. Whatever it is. Hey, we can get quite discouraged to realize that our outer man is perishing. And yet, despite that reality, 
Despite the reality that persecution and just getting older were eroding Paul's physical health and youthful vigor, understand, the apostle refused to lose heart. Paul knew that as the outer man deteriorated, the inner man was being invigorated. Day by day, even as he aged, Paul's spiritual strength was being renewed. See, Paul didn't get discouraged over his aging body or his chronic illness. He wasn't fearful of his own mortality, for he understood that the physical body was not the real Paul. His body was just a tent, a temporary dwelling. The real person is the inner man, the person for the heart. And that's true of all of us. An iceberg moves slowly through the ocean against gale force winds, against tidal waves, and we wonder how. Well, the answer is 90% of that iceberg is under the water. And I am like that iceberg. Look at me and all you see is 10% of what I truly am. The substance lies below the surface. You can't size me up by taking my measurements. There's more to me than meets the eye. I might be fading physically, but I am alive spiritually. See, the growing Christian doesn't get grieved over his gray hair or bummed out over his aching back, or devastated by her disease, or even crushed by their cancer. There is more to life than bones, and muscles, and livers, and kidneys. Even though the outer man is getting weaker and weaker, we can take heart if we cultivate the inner man. We can grow spiritually strong. Once there was a little boy, he asked his grandpa, he says, are you rotten on the inside? The man was rather shocked. He said, of course not. Why would you think such a thing? The little guy replied, well, when an apple wrinkles on the outside, it means it's rotten on the inside. That might be true of apples, but not of Christians. Hey, in my opinion, one of the modern world's best inventions are rechargeable batteries. Today, when batteries fade, just plug them into the charger, and they're good again for another 100 hours or so. Standard batteries, you use them and you lose them. Well, the human body is like a standard battery. We use them, then we discard them. But God made the spirit of a person rechargeable. Daily, we can plug into God's word and prayer and fellowship and even worship. We can spend time with the Holy Spirit. And as we do, he infuses in us fresh power and energy. God's presence stimulates a spiritual current. A joy rises up inside. This is why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4 verse 8, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Physical exercise, that's okay. It serves a purpose. But spiritually, tr- spiritual training is far better. Who wants to merely exist without really living? It's been said, everyone wants to add years to their life, but Jesus wants to add life to your years. It's so refreshing to watch an elderly saint grow older and younger at the same time. Their body might be aging, but their outlook stays youthful and optimistic. The only real fountain of youth is fellowship with God. 
Well, the second reason that Paul doesn't lose heart is the contrast between the afflictions of this world and the glories of heaven. He says that heaven's blessings are so heavy, they're so thick, that they make earth's troubles seem trite. Paul puts it this way in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice Paul refers to the messy difficulties of his life, the poopy experiences, as his light afflictions. Have you noticed that we live in a day when light, L-I-T-E, is in vogue? There's light mayonnaise, light butter, light salad dressing, light ice cream. Here's my favorite. Light chocolate syrup on the ice cream. Can you believe it? Low calories, no cholesterol. That's the ticket. You see, modern science has learned how to process foods in a way that minimizes the threat to heart disease. And Paul had learned a similar secret. He processed harsh, brutal, stressful trials in such a way that enabled him to see his troubles as light afflictions. Paul's faith filtered out disappointments and reduced the spiritual cholesterol called discouragement. His spiritual digestion eliminated the attitudes that caused for heart disease, for the hardening of the soul. See, Paul had learned the secret that enabled him to stay buzzed even when others got bummed. And recall Paul's afflictions, illnesses, shipwrecks, imprisonments, torture, beatings, emotional rejection. He called all of these afflictions light. And if he did that, then surely... The afflictions we experience are that much lighter. And what was the secret to Paul's perspective? It consisted of two truths. One, Paul learned that earth's afflictions are, and I quote, but for a moment. In light of eternity, even 80, 90 years, it's just a few ticks of the clock. And two, Paul learned that our present suffering is working for us an elaborate and an eternal reward. Now notice Paul calls his trials a momentary affliction. Yet this man suffered for the better part of 30 years. How can 30 painful years be referred to as but for a moment? Well, we've all seen those camera shots of the astronauts in zero gravity, sort of floating in the space tube. Looks fun. In watching them, though, we learn that what's heavy on earth, when taken outside of our atmosphere, becomes light as a feather. In the heavens, heavy objects grow light. And this is what Paul did with his heavy afflictions. He tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 3 that spiritually we've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So whenever Paul started to feel weighted down, he just sat down with Jesus. When Paul viewed a problem from the scope of eternity, what had seemed heavy beyond belief, what was about to bury him suddenly became nothing and trivial and light as a feather. Hey, put a difficulty up against eternity and even a whole lifetime of hurt and suffering is just a nanosecond. Christian apologist C.S. Lewis described the whole sordid story of human history as a mere false start. 
Imagine a swim meet. The distance swimmers are on the starting block. It's the marathon of swimming. It's the 10-kilometer race. But just before the gun goes off, one of the swimmers jumps early. No big deal, just a false start. In fact, at the conclusion of this marathon swim, that one man's eagerness will be a vague, distant memory. Now think of the whole history of humanity as simply a false start. In light of the long, lengthy eternity that lies before us. In light of forever, 6,000 years of sin and suffering. It's just a few folks jumping into the pool too soon. It's a mistake. It's a bother. But after a million years of glory, it'll be a distant memory. It's our eternal hope that makes the miseries of this world more bearable. A man was once reading his Bible when he prayed and he asked God, Lord, is it true that to you a thousand years is as one second? God said, yes, it's true. Well, then is it true that to you one million dollars is a single penny? God says, yes, that's true too. Well, the man asked, he said, then do you think I can have a penny? The Lord said, sure, just a second. (laughs) Hey, here's the truth. This world's heavy afflictions become light when we realize that from the perspective of eternity, even a lifetime of sorrow is just for a moment. Paul's troubles were momentary, but they also worked for him a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, we think of our trials as the intense, profound, severe experiences. But the real heaviness is heaven. Life's most profound events are not our earthly afflictions, but they are our heavenly glories. The happiness of heaven will far be far more heavier than the sorrows we've gone through on earth. You know, after you see the Cascade Mountains of the Pacific Northwest or the Colorado Rockies, it tickles me to hear someone talk about the North Georgia Mountains. If a Westerner saw what we call mountains, they'd snicker. Compared to Mount Rainier, the Georgia Mountains are anthills. Likewise, your problems might seem massive to you. In your mind, nothing could be more intense than your current struggle. But if you could just get a glimpse of the treasures and the pleasures of heaven, if you could just savor a single sip of the joy you'll one day guzzle, once you realize the intensity of the delight that awaits you in heaven, suddenly the trials you are currently calling mountains won't be mountains after all. The wonders and glories of our heavenly inheritance will make the trials of this earth seem like speed bumps. In his science fiction adventure, Paralandra, author C.S. Lewis, he wondered what it would be like for a human to taste fruit in a perfect, unfallen world. A world without sin. What would fruit taste like? In his story, an earthling is transported to a planet unsoiled by sin. He finds a cluster of unfallen fruit hanging from a tree. And I love how C.S. Lewis describes his reaction to its taste. He writes, He had come to a part of the wood where great globes of yellow fruit hung from the trees. He picked one of them and turned it over and over. By accident, his finger punctured it. 
and went through into coldness. After a moment's hesitation, he put the little slit to his lips. He had to extract the smallest experimental sip, but the first taste put his caution all to flight. It was so different from every other taste, like the discovery of a totally new genus of pleasure, unheard of among men. It dawned on him that for one drink of this on earth, wars would be fought and nations betrayed. I believe heaven's simplest pleasures will produce an ecstasy unheard of here on earth. We'll need glorified bodies just to handle the heavenly highs. Heaven will be so sweet that just a single second of being there will more than make up for a lifetime of suffering here on this earth. No matter what you suffered in this life, your first moment in heaven will wipe away all of the pain. People sometimes ask, if God is so good, why then does he allow all the suffering and pain in the world? Couldn't he stop it if he wanted? And most certainly he could. But unlike our shallow priorities, God's concerns for us stretch way beyond tomorrow. God cares about our welfare for all eternity. Rather than just simply pad our tomorrows with comfort, He wants to maximize our eternal experience. Heaven is forever, and He wants that forever experience to provide optimum enjoyment. Understand, one of the problems with human beings is that we often lack an appreciation for what's good and pleasant and best until we first taste the opposite. I've heard it put, the only way to truly love something is to first be without it. Human nature takes for granted even the richest blessings until they're gone, until they're out of our reach. We appreciate most what we now miss. I have actually heard of people from the islands of Hawaii who griped about living in Hawaii. Imagine that. Oh, I suppose it's really rough living in a tropical paradise all year round. But here's the human reality. Native Hawaiians won't appreciate what they've got until they've spent a hot, muggy summer in South Georgia, under the Nat line, no less, or a sub-zero winter in frozen Wisconsin. You know, I heard you guys a decade or so ago, some of you spoiled Atlanta Braves fans you were complaining about your team. I heard you belly aching. I heard it. You griped. We only win the division. We make the playoff annually. Wait a minute. We've only won one World Series. Oh, boy. Today, Braves fans would love to be competitive enough for the games to matter past the 4th of July. My point is, we're so fickle. We don't appreciate anything until we first live without it for a while. And given this very human tendency, would it be horrible if God just set us down right from the beginning in the perfect utopia? Hey, give us just a few weeks and we'd be complaining about paradise. Understand, if you have nothing to compare it to, even perfection loses its luster in a short time. And if you're dissatisfied with perfect, where do you go? Hey, let me suggest the obvious. God knows what he's doing. 
by allowing us what amounts to just a few seconds in a fallen world, God is enhancing and securing for our eternity our enjoyment of heaven. God is sweetening the sweet by priming us with a taste for the sour. See, Paul refuses to lose heart because he's contrast the outer man that's perishing with the inward man that's being renewed. And he refuses to lose heart because he contrasts his momentary sufferings with this eternal weight of glory. But there is also a third contrast that causes Paul to take heart. It's when he contrasts the things that are visible with the things that are invisible. Paul says it this way in verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, Paul had faith to see beyond what can be seen. Let me warn you of a mistake we all make. We assume that this tangible world is the real world. Not so. This world is merely a shadow. It's a dollhouse full of toy types, which are a dim reflection of the real thing. The real McCoys lie just beyond the curtain. Earth's joys are a diluted version of heavenly highs. Earth's sin-inflicted pain is a feeble forewarning of the punishments of hell. This life is just preseason. Eternity is where you finally start keeping score. Warren Wiersbe writes, If we could only see the visible world the way God wants us to see it, we would never be attracted by what it offers. Get your eyes on the invisible and you'll see through this world's facade. In Hebrews 11 verse 26, we're told how Moses refused and resisted the temptations of Egypt. He esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as, having, as seeing him who is invisible. Eyes of faith see the unseen. When you look through the world's illusions, partaking of its pleasures are like nibbling on a wax apple. It's fake. It's phony. This world is spiritually tasteless. Your taste buds were made for deeper enjoyments. An author once wrote, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are far too easily pleased. Remember, material stuff can never satisfy a spiritual need. Let me repeat that. Material stuff can never satisfy a spiritual need. That's why we call it stuff. It just stuffs us. It doesn't satisfy us. We're left empty and hungry. Remember that the tangible world around us is only an illustration. It's a visual aid to help us grasp the realities of the invisible, spiritual, deeper realm. A mother's love speaks to us of God's tenderness. A father's guidance depicts God's tireless concern. A child's trust is a lesson on saving faith. This is why Jesus said that to inherit the kingdom of God, we need the faith of a child. 
Ephesians reminds us that the romance between a husband and a wife is an introduction to the potentials for intimacy that exist between Christ and his church. According to Scripture, a raging river or a brisk breeze should whet our appetites for the Holy Spirit. A rainbow reminds us of God's faithfulness. A sunrise speaks of his mercy. A lightning bolt alerts us to his soon coming. A sunset warns us of his judgment. When we fail to look behind the symbols around us to the substance of which they speak, we miss the point of the lesson. We miss out on the meaning of life. Paul tells us not to look to the things that are seen, but to the unseen. The Greek word translated look is the word scopus, from which we get our word to scope, like the scope on a rifle, or as we use the expression, to scope something out. Paul is saying that we are to fix our attention on the invisible world, that we're to focus our minds on spiritual realities like love and mercy and fellowship and faithfulness and integrity. The spiritual issues of our life shouldn't just be hobbies or passing fancies that we play with, that we then leave for a while and come back to when we have the time. Oh, no. We need to zero in on these realities. We need to live our lives fixated on what's spiritual. How much time this week have you spent thinking on spiritual things? Paul says to the Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And even in our physical circumstances, even in those things that preoccupy us and demand our daily attention, we need to always be on the lookout for the hand of God. You never know when God might intervene in your circumstances to bless you, to use you, to even redirect you. Oh, the reason Paul takes heart rather than loses heart is that he has the ability to see beyond the visible to the invisible. He saw through the scenery of his life to the hand behind the scenes. Here's the truth. You and I will see life clearly only when we see through eyes of faith. Remember, we have been given a promise. And God is faithful to fulfill that promise. The best is yet to come. But in the meantime, don't get discouraged by the poop. It takes the manure for you to mature. Let me warn you, get caught up in the outward and the cosmetic. Get wrapped up in the here and now, in the visible and the tangible, and you'll lose heart. You'll get discouraged. Better to see life from an inward, eternal, spiritual perspective. God is faithful to empower and to encourage us if we maintain the right outlook. Live from the inside out. Think eternal, not temporal. Look to the unseen, not the seen. And you, my friend, will take heart, not lose heart. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. 